Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, near or far, high or low, you're listening to the Coach D Podcast. And listeners, I'm not, you know, sure if you guys have really started to see the shift. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of players, but, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful now that I'm able to speak to some high-level coaches. You know, I have a coach on the show with me but listeners you know how we do when the coach do podcast especially when we're speaking to high level coaches we have to introduce them the right way so without further ado let me cue the music and get my best commentator voice on <laughs> listeners stepping on the court we have a member of the bison family having served two seasons at dartmouth and was instrumental in the development of the ford chris knight who earned all ivy second team he was also a member of the columbia lions coaching staff developing the fords and the centers he has served as a recruiting coordinator scheduling coordinator player development for practices as well as film breakdowns and scouting reports listeners i'm excited and humbled stepping on the court listeners please give a warm welcome to coach steve oh thank you so much demetrius that that music's bringing me back to my you know NBA on on NBC Saturdays, man. Watching <laughs> there we go. Michael Jordan lace him up and <laughs> and get after it. So I appreciate that. Of course, of course. And coach, um, like I said again, um, just really, really appreciate your time. You know, during this time of year. And before we even get started, coach, you know, talk to me. I mean, we're technically in the fourth quarter of 2021. So how's your physical and how is your mental right now? You know, pretty good. Yeah, you know, it's my first year here at Howard, so I'm, I'm observing a lot and, and learning a ton, which is helpful. Um, you know, last year in the Ivy League, unfortunately, you know, my in my final year at Dartmouth, we didn't have a season, so it was really all about the mental. You know, making okay. sure your players were happy and healthy, and and trying to, you know, obviously continue to get them in the gym and, and think about basketball. But it really wasn't about the game for us. It was more about. You know, are they are they happy? Are, are they are they are they able to kind of get through their day to day? Because the one thing that we all love was taken away from us, and it yes. wasn't you know it wasn't our choice, but we understood it, and uh, that was where the focus was. So I think professionally, that's that's led me to to do a lot more thinking about that right. and making sure players are uh, far more connected mentally than I think probably coaches that when I was in college and high school were, were thinking about, right? It's just not something mm-hmm. that was talked about as much. So no, it's true. But it's I'm, true. I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? Man, it's, you know what, coach? It's, it's funny you say that because this last week has really been a interesting week for me because, you know, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, teach the sport that I love in so many schools and universities. And I was speaking with one of the teachers and, you know, working in a primary school you kind of really learn just the importance of again just making sure that their mental is where it needs to be because it doesn't make sense you know me as a teacher teaching them how to play the game if you know they're just not feeling the greatest or they're still going through things at home and it's you know it was an interesting conversation I had with the teacher because you know you've really got to check in and kind of look out 
for the signs in terms of their body language, their tonality, and just making sure that their mental health is where it needs to be. And most importantly, you know, the quote that comes to mind is, you know, players don't players don't want to know how much you know about the game until they know how much you care about them. And that's and that quote has really stuck with me this week, especially just really kind of tapping in and then making sure things are going on at home, you know everything is going well so yeah it's, it's been a very interesting week absolutely it's it's always really easy to just talk about basketball right right that's like the bare minimum mm-hmm. and it's something that we love so it's easy for i feel like as a coach to get stuck on those things but right uh, that's not where you know those strides are made right that's not where people figure out if you care about them or not just because you can show them how to get over a ball screen very true very very true now coach i mean be before we even speak about the coach that you've become today if you could kind of just take us back to you know a very young coach steven and you know who was um a lot more shorter maybe not as built you know maybe even a little bit nervous getting into team sports or individual sports and could you kind of just take us back to where you was when you first got introduced to the game they call basketball and who was the person if they was that put a basketball in your hands yeah i can um you know my dad i believe was involved in in getting a basketball into my hands i was i can remember my first team you know age five or six or seven now uh, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was, you know, gangly, and I was always tall for my age. But okay. uh, I, you know, played a lot of sports. I was the kid who played, you know, we call it soccer here, but football, yeah. uh, basketball, baseball. I had buddies who played lacrosse. Uh, there were so many sports going on around me at the time that it was just when I was a little kid. I just anything that had a, a ball, a bat, something I could hit or throw. Nice. I was all in every time. Okay. Um, so that that got me started and, and I was a you know multi-sport athlete from a very young age and then as I kind of grew into high school uh, basketball became the thing I, I certainly loved the most I, I, my freshman year I played football basketball baseball and then after that I, I cut football and then after my sophomore year it just became basketball only uh, through college so but my first my first memories are playing in the local rec center against uh, you know kids that are in the same neighborhood as me and right all from the same hometown and, and kind of growing from there. Uh, so it was our dad's coaching. It wasn't very uh, high level in terms of thought. <laughs> it was more just get out there, run around and have a right. good time. But, right. but it, it definitely it definitely left an impression on me. And um, it's definitely where I, it's where I got my start for sure. You know, I can thank everything to, to that league. Would you say you, you had um, benefits of, I mean, be because you played so many different sports you know you're working on hand coordination you're working on balance agility change of direction you know being able to slow down and stop like when you specified into basketball some of those things that you learned playing you know football all all across or doing athletics did you find yourself a lot more coordinated or you had a bit of an advantage coming from doing multi-sports before a little bit yeah i think it helped me learn how to play within a team you know I was never an elite athlete so I'm you know I was never the fastest I never you know jumped the highest Uh, so a lot of what I had to do was learn the game very quickly and where people need to be and and how to play and communicate Uh, so whether that was 
you know, on the baseball field, kind of just getting myself in good positioning or, you know, again, hand-eye wasn't the greatest, but I could see pitches and I was just trying to hit for average. I wasn't a power hitter or, you know, in basketball, it was, I was the quarterback on the defense. Okay. I'll never forget my first, you know, time I realized you could do something other than score the ball and, and be effective. I was playing a kid who was a year older than me and the coach just told me my team was to, my goal for the game was just to guard him and shut okay. him down. And that's what I did. And I was nice. like, oh, there's a role for everybody, you know, right. regardless of your level of athleticism or your skill level, um, you can you can carve out a role on a, on a team if you just, you know, do some of the simple things that, that everybody doesn't always want to do or aren't right. always glamorous to do. Right. Okay. See, I see. I, I'm starting to paint the picture now. So Coach Steven was that lockdown defender okay i like it <laughs> yeah I, I, you know lockdown is a you know a center so i don't know, you know i was i was a dinosaur you know they didn't let us shoot threes or right dribble right. the ball so i was one of the last you know kind of true centers uh and i only grew to be six seven so that that then uh that you know stifled my my longer career but um, right as a youngster, I was a pretty good defender as a big guy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, nice, nice. And just in terms of if you had to describe, you know, what's the basketball culture like where you was growing up, for those who might not know, how would you describe the basketball scene over there? You know, I grew up in a small town in Connecticut. And, um, you know, the tri-state area with New York and New Jersey always has strong basketball players. Okay. You know, I think it's a... You know, and we all steal that from New York City, right? Because right. obviously New York City has a, a incredible concentration of talent. But I was very lucky because a, a kid who was two years older than me, his father started a travel club for our town. So then we would start nice. going around and playing all the best teams from other towns. Okay. Uh, and that had us traveling all around the state. You know, I grew up uh, 20 minutes from New Haven, which is a relatively big city in Connecticut. And then we'd go up to play in Waterbury and Hartford and just travel the state playing other really good teams. And that exposed me and my teammates to really good bat and better basketball than we would get playing against each other every day. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really the first exposure to other styles, you know, teams that pressed and you know, I had, we all played a certain style, but, you know, we hadn't, you know, we knew each other. We'd grown up together, right? When you're right. playing against the other best kids from other towns and other cities, uh, it was really helpful in terms of our development and growth and understanding kind of where we could go from here. Okay. See, and that's one thing that I just absolutely love about the States. I mean, here, the one thing I like is, again, the competition is getting a lot more higher and now one thing i love is that there is that clear player pathway because i mean speaking with you know so many guests i just love the fact that you know what makes their program over in the states so different is you know you have the kid in high school he wants to play at the college level you know the kid at college wants to play at the pro level and even the kid at the pro level wants to stay the pro for the longest you know whereas here when i was starting to come up it was more yeah i'm pretty nice at the high school level but i don't really have any knowledge of what the player pathway is like to be a pro you know but now it's it's definitely changed which is something that i definitely like to see so just in terms of your player pathway as a high school player how would you describe your development during that time yeah I again i was tall so i was 
I benefited from that. I was always played up. You know, as a freshman, I was playing JV as well as sitting on the varsity bench and practicing with those guys. So getting an opportunity to get beat up a little bit. I was skinny, kind of wasn't introduced to the weight room until college. So my dad didn't play. I didn't really have anybody in my family that was former athlete. So I didn't have a ton of internal guidance in the home as to how to prepare. It was all kind of self-taught or I just liked being in the gym with my teammates. So it was, you know, it was self, a lot of self-practice. Right. Um, and I, again, I wouldn't call myself a great high school basketball player. What I was, was a great communicator. Mm. Um, I would talk to my teammates on the floor. I was always vocal pointing and again, trying to quarterback the defense. Cause that's where I thought I, I actually could contribute every time, every possession down the floor. Uh, and then offensively, it was more just getting in where I fit in. So set screens and a couple jump hooks here or there, a couple free throws, you know, right. uh, <laughs> and, and play from there. And then, you know, my sophomore year, I started playing AAU uh, right. with a, you know, a local collection of, of players from kind of all over the state, but mostly right. from our area. And that exposed me again. We started traveling around the country. I turn them, back then, tournaments could be hosted at uh, Division One University. So there was always a big one down at Hofstra in Long Island. University of Maryland. Uh, we'd go out to Vegas for the national tournament or Orlando, and you could play teams from everywhere, right? And so now you're getting exposed to another level of basketball. So to your point earlier, you know everybody's path is different, and I think every time you go out and see another club or another program that's at an even higher level than what you've used to seeing, right. like oh, there's a next step to go. this, it's and true. it's right in front of you, right? So, you know, you can accept that challenge and and go back and and work hard or say, wow, I don't know if I'll ever get to be as good as those guys. I got to find out. (laughs) I got to find something else to do. It's true. Uh, It's true. So, so I, the AU was certainly was helpful in that. And, and then I was starting to get some, you know, letters from colleges back then, you know, they send out those form letters when you're younger and kind of with interest and whether it's about coming to their camp or having seen you play, um, you know, they would evaluate you and say, yeah, you're on our radar. And that encouraged me, encouraged me to keep playing. And uh, I was getting interest from schools that I liked. And early on, that was division one. And I ended up kind of becoming a more of a division three player. But um, that was that was the stuff that encouraged me to keep playing was just seeing other really good players and thinking, wow, I I hope I can get that that good at some day. You see, so what made that pivot because one thing that i liked coach is your mindset especially that early on in your playing career because you have some players i mean especially now with you know the highlight reels isn't exactly you know all about the person who set that perfect screen for them to get to the basket or the person who made that assist to score it's you know it's usually a dunk crazy crossover step back which don't get me wrong listeners and i'm sure coach enjoys watching that stuff sometimes i even jump out my seat on some of the stuff i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing some of these of course high schoolers do but again knowing your role and you know how much you valued communication what made you think like that in in terms of rather than another athlete who was well you know what i'm not that athletic I'm not the best person finishing at the rim, you know, how can I still contribute rather than just giving the sport up? What made you pivot and still think, well, I know that I can still contribute in this way? You know, I don't know if it was conscious back then, right? As a seventh grader into ninth grade and eighth grade, 10th grade, you know, through high school. I don't know if I thought that way, but I just understood that 
early on that I was not the best. Like I wasn't the most gifted because I was playing with guys who were more gifted than me. So it would be, you know, selfish of me to think that I should be getting the ball more when right. they're clearly better. Right. Um, and I always took that with me, and and I wanted to, you know, be on winning teams. And when we were younger, we were winning a lot. So what you know. I think it's always a little when teams start to lose or, or you're in a, in a in a tougher place as a program and you're losing some games that's when people start to ask questions right hey mm-hmm. should i be getting the ball more should this person be playing and that's when you start to see some division i would say in, in bad teams right where they right. don't have a good kind of alignment and culture but we were winning games and, and handily when i was younger because of i thought having a deep team and, and i was a role player that's what i was i was always a role player um and I probably didn't actually become a really good offensive basketball player until like my early 20s. Okay. So, so for me, it was always about doing the extra. That was right. the way I got on the floor. Mm-hmm. So there was there was nothing else for me to do as far as I was concerned. I didn't have a choice. Right. Right. See, so for yourself, coach, I'm super curious to. No, no, because I feel like no matter what sport you play, there's there's always that moment where you realize that this sport was meant for me. Like I'm I'm really nice at this sport. So, so for yourself, coach, whether it was getting that rebound to secure the game, diving for a loose ball, calling a timeout, calling something from the sidelines, you know, making that game-winning layup or free throw. For yourself, coach, when was that moment you realized that I am nice at this game of basketball? I remember my my fall league going into my senior year, and it was you know it was informal Saturday mornings, but we played a team that was historically really good in our league. And I think I had thirty something, played okay. really well, and I had never I had never done that before. I'll, I'll be honest, and I. And I was a fall league game, so it wasn't like, you know, people were, but I, it was like, it was incredible. Like I was hitting shots and moving really well. And the game was, I think people always say when, when you get better, right, the game slows down. The yes. game was really slow that day for me. It was like, I could see everything. And I was like, oh, this is what really good players must feel like all the time. <laughs> you know, like yes, sir. this has to be what they're always feeling. It. And wow, right. this is amazing. You know, every, every time it left my hand, it just felt good. Right. And, uh, I just felt like I could see things ahead of time, and and I think that was that encouraged me. And then you know, as I I got older, I, I just think I would have those days, whether it would be in practice or a, or a game, where I, that feeling would come back, and it's addicting, right? You want to yes, find 100%, it again. Hundred um, percent. And I, I loved that pursuit of things, and and I, you know, I, I always loved being a part of a team. You know, I grew up. Personally, I grew up as an only child for the first like 13, 14 years of my life. I have a younger sister, but we're so far apart in age. Like being on a team is what kept me socially engaged. Mm. So that was part of it too. From, you know, I know you talked about our mentals or players' mentals too. Like mm-hmm. I got a mental, you know, boost from being around teams too. There you go. Um, and there I, go. and I think I found that probably I, again, I don't know if I recognize that when I was younger, but right. looking back now with perspective, Right. I, I'm almost positive that was a, that was a big part of why I kept coming around. Have you? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of gonna I'm gonna quickly fast forward into the third quarter of questions and then kind of bring it back to the first quarter. But just in sure. in, in terms of the coach that you are now, are you the coach that you didn't 
necessarily have at the time when you was coming up as a player if that makes sense it, it makes total sense i think i'm an amalgam of all of the guys that i that i worked with or played for okay so i think i was always very conscious of what coaches were saying and how they were saying it right and I don't think at the time I ever thought, you know, I know when I was a younger player and even in the college, I'm not sure I thought I would be a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do remember saying like, I hope if, you know, if I'm in that situation, I sound like him or I don't sound like that. Or I, right. you know, right. I think that's how I've always learned <laughs> is by right. observing and, and by no means, you know, criticizing what, the way other people do it, right? There's a there's a ton of different ways to coach sport 100%. and there's so many different philosophies and there's offensive styles, defensive stuff. So there's, and all of them can be successful if it's the right person with the right people. And, uh, but I always kind of took bits and pieces of the people I worked again, played for or worked with and thought, I'd like to be a little more like this, or I, I you know, I don't think I can, you know, I can't express myself that way and get across what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, right. Because as I think as you, hopefully you can tell, I'm a pretty laid back dude. Right. <laughs> so it's right. hard for me to get super worked up and right. and think clearly. You know, it's mm-hmm. not how I, I operate at my best. So learning how I operated at my best to help others operate at their best, right? Because right. that ultimately that's our job is maximizing people's talent. Right. Right, 100%. So, so 100%. in order for me to do that effectively, I think I have to be able to to know what you know my best version of myself is when I'm when I'm a coach. Right, right. And just in terms of um, you know, I kind of want to get your take on making that transition from high school to college because you kind of go from a point where you kind of start to get comfortable playing at the high school level and you know it's kind of like when I kind of reflect on my transition you know playing for the high school team to um shout out to the Camden Panthers men's there team you go. um I remember my first game coach playing for the Camden men's team and bear in mind I was playing up like I was I think I was maybe 18 or 19 at the time and I'm playing against grown men but fortunately for me they knew that in trainings i could shoot threes i couldn't drive to save my life coach i'm, I'm gonna be honest there <laughs> listeners know this too I, even though my favorite player at the time and still is Derek rose as much as i would try to mimic his move my my source just wasn't really there yet so but I, I could catch and shoot threes and play defense but you know making that transition you know from you know playing locally basketball to now okay now i'm playing in the men's division it definitely was a adjustment for me because you know the game is more physical more faster and just the attention to details needed to be that much more sharper but it was definitely a learning curve for me so for yourself coach you know how was that transition from playing high school basketball to now okay now I'm playing with you know the top 10 recruit in the nation or in the county college basketball yeah, it was a big transition for me because physically I wasn't ready. Okay. You know, like I said, I hadn't been introduced to the weight room. Uh, I hadn't introduced myself to the weight room. I shouldn't blame <laughs> others for that. You know, I, I didn't. Right. I didn't clamor to get in there either. Right. Um, and I was, you know, the team I played for was a D three team that had great success. Uh, the head coach there, Bill Fody, you know, has won, has won, you know, almost probably five hundred games uh, in his career. Wow. So he's 
he's a phenomenal coach and, and had a ton of talent. We went to the NCAA tournament my freshman year there. Uh, we were knocking on the door again my sophomore year. We lost in the conference tournament uh, my first two years there. Or we lost my second year there, won at my first year. So, And the players in my class were really good. They were a couple guys from Maine. Uh, Andrew St. Clair was was the was the best player in that class. He was like three-time, four-time conference player of the year. Wow. You know, 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds. So, you know, again, I was instantly not the best player. Right. <laughs> there was no question uh, of who was the best player in that group. And I struggled to find kind of where I fit in. And I didn't know what I should do. And again, I was kind of a weird player for that era like I was six seven I couldn't move very fast mm -hmm. I was a good communicator I could shoot the ball pretty well for a guy my size I there weren't a lot of like we weren't running a lot of pick and pop kind of actions you know Andrew was a skilled big who grew up a guard and you know he, there was just so many differences and, and I noticed that I you know I could try to make up for lost time but it was really hard you know I had to learn how to one embrace the weight room and I changed my body I did that in year one and and then that gave me a little bit more success in year two, but uh, it, that was the biggest adjustment to me was, because everybody was the best player when you right. get to a college program, whether it's division one, two, three, junior college, NAIA, no matter what level you're playing well in college, right? You're in that you know top 3% and everybody else is too. You, know, you don't get there by accident. See, so that is that is perspective. And, and you, 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 you kind of read my mind coach on the next, question because i mean for me i mean i'm 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 just a nerd when it comes to basketball so i could be watching nba w nba basketball champions league euro league the w nbl i could be watching korean basketball to me i, I I'm, I'm i'm still learning and, it, and it's still entertainment for me and it's still high level basketball and you kind of put things into perspective in terms of whether you play div one div two div three you're you're still in that top three percent so I guess with the experiences that you've gone through and some of the players and coaches that you've worked and trained with, is there a, um, I don't know how to explain it. Is there a hierarchy in, in, in terms of like a Div 1, Div 2, Div 3 in terms of not just the level, but media exposure? Like Div 1 gets more media coverage than the Div 2 and Div 3? Or is it... M more or less all of them are kind of in the same unison. No, no, there's absolutely a difference. You know, okay. division one players get far more attention and care probably than division two and division three players. Now there's some really high level division two and division three programs that have ph phenomenal facilities and, you know, they do well too, but you know, the D3 lifestyle was always, you know, homework on the bus and, you know, you're not flying to games and you know it's all pretty regional until you get to the ncaa tournament okay um, division two is a little bit you know higher profile and those guys might travel during the year to play some more you know high level teams across the country but again it it, it maintains a pretty regional and then even in division one there's some stratification right from low major to mid major to high major right um, and you know, high major teams will play low major teams and everyone in the gym is expecting that high major team to win. Right. Yet right. there's plenty of low major teams that if you, you know, catch them on the right day or they catch the high major team on the wrong day, it's right an true. easy win. And, right and you're true. seeing it this year. I mean, there's been a lot of upsets, yeah, quote unquote upsets true. in division one, but, but it's true. really been, you know, there's really good teams all over the place right. and there's really good basketball. You know, basketball is 
better today than it's ever been, right? That's just the way the world works. Things right. get better. They don't right. get worse. And we haven't devolved. So that, you know, everyone is better. Every level is better. The division three teams I was coaching at Colby, they were phenomenal and they could, you know, some of them probably could have beaten a good division or a, you know, a low major division one program on a given day. Right. So it really, there is a difference in attention, but the talent level, the difference in talent level is smaller than the difference in attention. If that makes sense. Okay. Understood. Understood. Okay. So just in terms of now, I'm, I'm always curious to know when a player makes that transition from player to coach because for me coach and the listeners know this I'm going to be completely transparent I did my level one in my uh, basketball coaching only to become a better player because I really wanted to be the best player in my high school and I was like you know what the coach knows a lot about the game so therefore if I take my level one that means the next time I've got a scrimmage you know Jimmy's gonna get buckets Derek is gonna get buckets because I'll because I'll be playing like a coach but it kind of made a shift in terms of I started to enjoy teaching I really started to enjoy sharing my knowledge and it kind of started to think long term well if I want basketball to become better in London and to become more popular you know as long as there's myself and there's other coaches that are sharing this information a byproduct of that is going to be the level in London is going to be a lot more higher and better and it just gives kids another opportunity to play a different sport so that was my journey in terms of you know how I transitioned from player to coach but for yourself what were some of the contributing factors that made you make that switch first of all i love your story demetrius because i don't know how many players would be that proactive about learning more about the game from that perspective so that's that's really cool kudos to you for recognizing that early <laughs> appreciate um, that. thank you for me, I actually kind of fell into coaching a little bit. Uh, when I moved home back to Connecticut, I was living in, in Colorado at the time. Uh, my old high school coach had left, was leaving the high school that year. And someone was like, hey, you should, you know, you should coach your old high school. Uh, but I had no experience. So, you know, the AD was like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. You know, we're going to hire somebody else <laughs> as the head coach. But, but you should, you know, you should coach the freshman team. Uh, here we, we could use a freshman coach um, and you know high school coaches are effectively volunteers you know we get a, a little stipend and and that was it but it's truly for the love of the game and every day at 2 30 the bell would ring after school and I would show up and I had to host my own tryout and cut you know 14 year old kids face to face and deal with the easy. tears and there. you know yep. and I was that's you tough. know 24 25 years old and uh, it was but it was great Right. Because you're, you know, you're on the ground floor, right? And and that summer, I coached my old AAU club as well, a, a nice. seventh grade team with with a friend of mine. My old AAU coach was still running the program, and he, you know, he brought me on as well. So, I think they saw something in me. I know my AAU, my old AAU coach saw something in me probably before I recognized it in myself. You know, I was just doing it to stay connected to the game. Right. I, I didn't know if it would be something that I would be able to turn into a profession or that I even could. Um, it was really just to, to, to have some fun and, and stay connected and stay in the gym because it's what I love to do. Right. Uh, and I could, I would coach anything I get my hands on. I was, you know, working a summer camp uh, for a guy, a local guy who 
had been running one since I was a kid. So it's something that I attended and then I, you know, ran as the camp director. Nice. Uh, I coached a girls seventh grade travel team from my hometown one yes, winter sir. on top yes, of coaching. Sir. So I was, I was quite honestly trying to coach any basketball team that would have me. Uh, and it, it gave me a lot of reps, right? Like mm -hmm. I was on the sideline having to make decisions pretty much by myself in every freshman game. Wow. You know, every AAU game, all those girls, seventh grade travel teams, I didn't have assistant coaches really. Right. I'd have some help from time to time with the book or a parent sitting on the bench to just kind of, you know, make sure everything was going okay. But right. Uh, right. for the most part, it was me, you know, watching it all and playing through all these scenarios. And I think it gave me a lot of confidence as I tried to get into the college game that I kind of already knew what my style and demeanor would be if I were ever lucky enough to become a head coach. But I had never really been a great assistant coach yet because I didn't have to do that part. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, moving into the college game or at least working in the high school level as a, you know, coaching my own programs and teams, I knew as I got to college, like, well, now I have to learn from other people. I have to be better at that. I have to, you know, I have to take in more and, right. and kind of go back to the way I was as a player. Uh, which I think has been beneficial for me. And I've had the pleasure to work for you know, four or five really great guys who all have different styles. So that, that's been really fun for me as a, as a just naturally curious person. Right. Uh, getting to see other people work and, and maneuver through this game because, you know, again, we can all do it differently. Indeed. Indeed. And I think that I think the great thing about being a coach or just a teacher is it's a very reflective role because you're constantly analyzing what you did well how could you do better and you know it's it's very interesting for me because it's you know I kind of noticed that shift because I'm telling you coach my first two years of coaching oh my goodness like I was coaching my old high school team and those first two years was just humbly but I, I i say it in a in a in a great way but it was just awful it was it was literally we would run five out i would only know the first rotation and i'll be screaming at kids why why aren't you guys getting it right well coach there's there's more than one rotation in five out but i was just kind of just learning and at that time i was kind of just more so replicating what i saw what my coach used to do and it's only kind of later on when i would read books you know from different coaches Dean Smith, Coach K, uh, and kind of just learning concepts and schemes, and then you start understanding the philosophy. And there's teammates, there's players, how to get them all, you know, playing on the same page, and the importance of developing a culture and getting them to buy in. And it's about not, you know, you don't change what you communicate, but you change how you communicate. So for yourself, when did that? pivot change from I'm not sure if you started just mimicking what your coaches used to do and when did that change come to the point where you're able to now coach your way of basketball rather than just copying what you used to see from other coaches great question and I, I actually can pinpoint the time because shout out to my buddy Jeff Farmer uh, we nice. were, he and I were coaching our old AAU club you know a seventh grade team and Jeff was an incredible competitor. He played at Division One at LaSalle University in Philadelphia and then finished at Northeastern up in Boston. He was an incredible player and he had an intensity about him when he played and he had an intensity about him as a coach and I was kind of helping him out and he had to leave because he got another job elsewhere. So then I took over the team and I tried to coach it just like he did. Right. You know, I tried to have right. that intensity and 
I, that just wasn't me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think my dad might have said to me after one weekend, you know, my dad is an incredible man. I, I'm lucky <laughs> I've had great support. And, you know, he's a sap and he would come to the games and, you know, give me advice, solicited or unsolicited after everyone. <laughs> and uh, he was like, you know, you don't really seem like yourself on the sidelines. I was like, yeah, you know, I don't feel like myself. That doesn't feel right. And and then I, I got lucky. Like I said, I had to, to do it all on my own. And because we had limited practice time, I couldn't I couldn't design amazing plays. Right. You know, we had to learn how to play together. Right. So I became a guy who was like, okay, we have to our teams have to be in shape. Our teams have to communicate and our teams have to be able to make shots and they have to learn how to play together. So those are the four things I'm trying to accomplish every practice. It was not about the X's and O's at all. And yes, I got to pick my teams, but you know, every year it was a new group of kids. As a freshman coach, you're getting a whole new class of kids who have actually played together in youth systems right. way more than I know. Right. You know, they they have a better familiarity with each other than I do with any of them. Right. So if anything, I should be defaulting to what they know how to do. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and I, I think that was a really important lesson for me as a coach because I think personally you know basketball is always a lot more fun when it's not designed mm, i like how you put that yep i agree like when you 100%. see players just playing 100%. naturally like, right isn't that why everyone loves the golden state warriors yes. because it just looks oh, like they're having poetry. fun out there and yeah. moving the ball and like who wouldn't want to play that way 100 it's incredible right right oh man that is that is that is a great point coach because i think that's what makes again you know i, I think the uh, the Golden State to me I, um, I was you know because the one thing I do is if I'm watching a game whether it's college basketball NBA W NBA I've got a, um app called the head coach app and I'm able to draw up plays so offensively defensively some of the schemes that they was running coach was just just absolutely amazing so I was drawing up in my book and I just you know give it to the teams that I know is able to execute but again just kind of bringing it back to what you were saying when the plays aren't a play you know everyone is just going off reads and making backdoor cuts and making skip pass and things like that it's absolutely beautiful to watch absolutely i think so too and demetrius to your point like you know we know that there's work that goes into that right Right. that they are executing concepts and philosophies but i think that's the way I personally love to coach is thinking about concepts and then letting them play with it. Like, okay, this is what we're trying to do. Yes, we're in five out and you know, this player is a better shooter than this player. So if you're on the same side, maybe you should be screening for him. Right. Right. You know, maybe you, if you're the, if you're a better cutter and rim, you know, finisher at the rim, then you should be the guy slipping in two man actions or curling screens or, but beyond that, it's like, okay, just let's, let's move the ball and see what happens because then it's really hard to guard, right? You can't scheme as well defensively for teams that look like they're just playing basketball. Mm, that's true. That is true. And just in terms of, again, I think it's it's very key because kind of, you know, using what we were speaking about as an example, a fan or a spectator will look at the Golden State Warriors or uh, Brooklyn Nets or I'm going to do a shameless plug my Chicago Bulls who are looking amazing this season but um (laughs) (laughs) just in terms of they really are they really are they look great I'm a league pass junkie so they've been fun to watch (laughs) and you know people kind of look at Zach making that game winning shot or Dame making a shot from the half and they think you know that is absolutely 
amazing but they don't realize the work ethic and the foundation that they built just to get to that moment and that point so for yourself coach you know being a former college player being a college coach now at the high level what would you say is the unseen grind of a college athlete and a college coach first of all i I think we're all lucky that we're involved in a sport right like people do this for fun you know you go out to the local parks and all people do is take a basketball out and find their friends or strangers and they'll go play this game so the first and foremost I, i think we're lucky to be able to do that but i guess the unseen part of it is you know just I think fans in particular, especially when you watch professionals, they expect them to make every shot. They expect sure. them to to make every pass and not turn the ball over and not blow a defensive assignment. Or So I think when when you see that happen as a fan, you're like, well, are they even practicing? Like, how do you mm, mess that up? And it's like, right. well, that was one of 700 screens that day. And you know what? They went 698 for 700. That's a pretty nice batting yeah. average. <laughs> True. But everyone's going to see the two that they messed up. Right, because you know it led to the game-winning basket, or it led so. I think you know what college programs and pros, you know what hopefully what what their you know work ethic and their grind and their you know attention to detail provides is just like that they can't take any opportunity for granted, mm-hmm. because you know you never know what possession is going to determine the game, right? It always looks like you said, you know, Zach Levine hitting a game-winning shot or Dame, and it all came down to that one possession. Well, there was 120 of them before that, and go. they all mattered. There we go. Um, and I think it's the guys who figure that out on the floor that, that make it through, and then, you know, the guys who can figure that out and then also continue to develop at a high level on their own or with their trainers or with the, the programs or the clubs that develop players individually better i think those are the the teams that you see have staying power because they know how to win their players don't take anything for granted and they also get a lot better right right and and just kind of making a pivot into you know you coaching at the college level now because i mean the the college season is no joke listeners i mean just you know sometimes you might have back-to-back games you're going to a tournament you need to do scat reports film breakdowns you know just you know, understanding the attention to detail, KYP, knowing your personnel. So day-to-day, practice-to-practice, camp-to-camp, off-season, during the season, coach, how do you, you know, have efficient practices during the season? I think, again, Demetrius, I think it's really about, you know, being sure you're getting, you're maximizing the time and what... And you're continuing to stress the things that you believe are important, like whatever you hold as the highest standard for, you know, great offense, if that's ball movement and, you know, hockey assists, you know, the pass that leads to the pass or, you know, screening, you know, screen assists or offensive rebounding. If you just, you have to stress the things that you want to be good at. Right. And you have to find a way to do that every practice mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's what shows up in the games. Um, so you can talk about all these other things or, Hey, we want to be a team that does 800 things. Well, well, guess what? You can't practice 800 things right. and practice right. because we only get four hours a day in season. And these guys have other parts of their lives that I think don't always get talked about. Like they got to go to school. They got to do their work. Um, they got to recover. You know, basketball is another 
you know, on top of being a regular student, that's a full-time job. Very true. It just so happy. It just so happens to be that most of us love it, and it's also a passion for us. You know, we're not everyone's not lucky enough to to work in their passion. Right. Um, right. But hopefully, when players can can find that sweet spot of, yeah, this is a lot of work, but I I love this. This is what I this is what I want to do forever. I hope right. I can practice and play until the wheels fall off. Indeed, <laughs> it's true. Um, right? We all wanted it's it, true. you know. At some point, we, I wanted to too, and I wasn't yeah. very good. So I, you know, it was, <laughs> even for me, it was something I, I wanted to do until the wheels fall off. You know, I'd still go pick it up and, and lace them up and play. So right. I think that's that's really what it's about is the players that recognize that and, and are willing to sacrifice, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's all about opportunity cost. What are you giving up socially to be the best player that you can in college? Probably a lot. Sure. If you truly want to sure. be great, probably a lot. Man, you see, and that's because I think during the pandemic for for me, I was quite fortunate because I was able to catch up on so much basketball. I mean, there was a point, coach, where I was um, just on a binge of college games and it went to the next video on YouTube and I saw the crowd, the merchandise, and the commentator, and the commentator was like, okay, so we have a high school final. I was like, wait, wait, time out, time out. This is a, <laughs> these are high schoolers playing in a stadium that is this massive. Like, I was like, wait a minute, these are high schoolers playing like damn near at the college level and everyone's got the merchandise i was like yeah the, like it is just absolutely incredible and one thing that i love you know especially you know speaking with you know um so many players that the the foundations that they look for when they're making that pick of which program they want to go for all of them say the same word in terms of they had a culture you know they had you know they wake up early they're a family on and off the court you know and they hold themselves to a certain standard and it's not an option to drop below that standard you know and you can see it how they play how they speak to one another what their coach speaks their players are speaking the same thing so for yourself coach you know just with the different programs that you've been in you know how would you describe the importance of developing a good basketball culture it's everything um, you know, you are what you repeatedly do, right? I think 100%. there's all these kind of coachisms about culture, and it might be Jordan Sperber who does like a mashup of every new hire at the end of the college season. It all, everyone, every coach says, "We're going to change the culture. We're going to change the culture. We're going to change the culture." And right. it is important, but I think it, it equally as important about talking about it is is actually implementing a system that allows you to do it, right? Everyone mm-hmm. says. Hey, are you, you know, are you getting your extra shots up? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? But are you keeping track of those things? Are you valuing those things? Are you highlighting the people that do them? Right. You know, what again, whatever you want to define your team, you have to find a tangible way to show those guys it's important. Because the people won't just take your word for it anymore. You know, we're in a data-driven world. You can look up stats about anything. You can get an answer to any question within seconds. Right. So you can't just say, do as I say, not as I do, or listen to me, I know what I'm talking about. Right. It doesn't stick as well as listen to me, let me show you, let's talk about it. Here's you doing it. Let's try it again. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the learning process is for these guys, it 
you have to you know find multiple ways to do it and i think the best cultures that i've been a part of and been around and witnessed from afar they've mastered how to show everyone what they want right and that might be different like you might learn Dimitri is completely different than i learned maybe you want maybe you learn better on the whiteboard right right you know so okay Dimitri's come in for 15 minutes today every day and let's you know draw up some quick hitters and some of the stuff that you know you've been struggling with or the plays that are you know you need to execute better or whatever you know and hey steve you you learn better on video sit down with me 10 minutes before practice let's but you have to be available i think that's the thing too hmm. that i've learned the best cultures have had the the probably the highest level of availability that means coaches being available to to talk and and work with players and also players having a willingness to be available to their coaches that's true and not sure. wanting to just shut them off and, and only listen to them when it's time for practice. And, you know, it's, we are a family and families fight too. You know, it's like, well said. <laughs> you know, well it's said. like family, just because yep. you're a family doesn't mean everything goes well all that's the true. time. You know, that's actually, that's so it, it won't go well all the time. I think that's why family is a really appropriate word. I don't know if people always describe families that way in their press conferences or right, right. when they're talking about it, but families fight yep. and that's okay especially if we all understand that we're trying to get to the same place and you know culture great cultures to me again the ones i've been around and the ones i've observed always get everyone there together mm -hmm. but they may have to do it through different avenues right right and i mean just just looking at your portfolio i mean you've done a lot of different stuff coach i mean the fact that you're practicing sessions you're doing skill development you're recruiting your coordinated the schedule i mean one i don't know how you was able to balance so many things at one time so hats off to you but the <laughs> thank you second thing is um just in terms of skill development how do you especially at the college level how do you plan those sessions and how do you approach um developing the skill of some of these college players you know, I think in-season versus out-of-season skill development is a little bit different. But first of all, shout-outs to Ty Thornton, our our director of player development and Shout assistant out. coach at, at Howard. He has done a phenomenal job. He's nice. been here all three years. You know, I'm, I've just gotten here for one year, and he's he's been a key in the development of a lot of the players that are here at Howard. So he deserves a, a ton, a ton of credit. Um, for me, it's always been about not limiting but understanding. So, hey, you know, mm. right now your role might be pick and roll big and, you know, finishing inside and, you know, maybe catching at the elbow and making decisions. Maybe that's what you're asked to do on the floor. So those are the things we're going to work on the most, right. but I don't want to limit you to those things. So we're going to do the other stuff in private and we're going to put in the work, but maybe we're not showing the world that stuff in a game yet. Mm. You know, you kind of got to earn those stripes and and that usually happens in the spring and the summer versus in season it's about maintaining now if you're talking about a guy who's maybe playing limited minutes or on a red shirt year that's a lot of fun because then you really can push them outside their comfort zone right and play them all over the floor and allow them to make a million mistakes and historically in my opinion the the best player development people have always allowed guys to fail and you know they're trying to do things that maybe are a little bit ahead of where they are and that doesn't mean that they're neglecting the things they're good at they're still gonna keep their axe sharp so to speak 
but they're not just settling on those three things. Now, when you get to the professional level and you're supposed to be a knockdown shooter, you better be sure you stay right. a knockdown shooter, right? You <laughs> right. can't all of a sudden want to become a point guard. Like right. if that's sure. what they're paying you to do, that's what they're paying you to do. Right. But that doesn't mean you should discontinue trying to evolve as a basketball player or getting every ounce of, of what you can out of what you already do really well. So it's right. about mastering something new or maintaining a high level of something that you already do. I think the best player development folks find a way to do both. Right, right. Understood, understood. And just in in terms of you know when you was breaking down film, what a one well kind of a two part question. When you're breaking down your own film, what are some of the categories that you're putting those clips in? And two, when you're now showing that film to the group or to the team how are you going about it so that they're kind of picking up on these details and they're understanding okay when we are switched on when we are communicating this is how we look but when we're not holding ourselves accountable when we're kind of messing up on defensive assignments this is how it looks like how are you carrying both of those things out yeah i think kind of just the way you you, you painted it you know you okay. have to show them the good and the bad you right. can't can't just show them all the things they're messing up all the time right and not and not show them the things they're doing well uh, i've you know i think i've heard other coaches say this and i think it's really smart you know when you're putting together a scanner report even for the other team you know hiding in a couple clips of you guys maybe going against the a club that does something similar and being like this is how we were successful against something like this Ooh, in the past I like or that. okay you know in on nice. a day a day that maybe you don't have a scout but you want to get some film in like hey here are our best six clips on ball movement from practice yesterday or yes. you know in our last game you know this is who we can be at our best and encouraging them and saying like look you can do it you know that's the thing that you want right now just because i think you can do it doesn't mean i'm not going to push you really really hard to be better than that but like you know here's you doing it here's you actually executing these things that we're talking about and some of them are high level concepts so you've proven that you can do it now your goal is to do it more consistently mm -hmm. and that's what film i think can be used for like everyone has the ability you know usually at the division 1 level because it's really hard to get here right but sometimes it's just you know encouraging or rehearsing some of the things that they need to do more specifically and again they learn different ways so i think film has been a great tool i don't think it's about spending hours in front of the screen for them i think it's about quick bursts of good and bad right and then moving on and trying to execute it in practice that day right right see and just in terms of when you're teaching some of these concepts are you teaching them the, the concepts in in terms of this is a b and c and then once you kind of get a feel for A, B, and C, then you kind of can add a bit of freestyle, read and react, or are you doing it the other way around, if that makes sense? A little bit, yeah. Are you, are you speaking kind of more like, okay, we're gonna, if we're gonna run a pistol action, here are the, the basics that we're looking for, and right. then, yeah. then if once you've kind of rehearsed the basics, hey, just play out of it. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's that's been the way we've done things here at Howard is, okay. you know, dry running and rehearsing our stuff to say this is how it looks when we want to execute it perfectly. But, you know, for instance, we played a game the other night against American University and we called a play and one of our freshmen miscommunicated and kind of messed up, but he kept playing and we actually ended up getting to the back end of that play and getting him a 
the bucket that nice. he was designed for originally. So, nice. you know, it's not always going to be perfect, but right. as long as, you know, people have the confidence in, I think the worst thing about X's and O's and A to B, B to C coaching is once you get to C and it doesn't work, what do teams usually do? That's a good question. Yeah. They freeze. A lot of yeah, them freeze. You know, when I, at least yeah. when I was a high school coach, that's what kids did. If the play didn't work, everyone just stood Stop. there and I was yeah, like, whoa, yeah, yeah. this doesn't going to work. Like, right. Right. you know, okay, this didn't work. Great. Get into a handoff, get into, you know, reverse it and get into something else. You know, and I think that's the piece that you need, right? You need to be able to execute when it comes time to those last, you know, two minutes and, you know, kind of like the hurry up offense in football, right? You need to, in American football, I should say, like you need to be able to execute that last two minute drive all the time, right? right. So you have to be precision and there's times for that. But in the course of a 40 minute game, you're not going to set every screen at the right angle. You're not going to, but as long as you're doing it in majority of the time, the timing's great and you're playing together and you know that if it breaks down, you're not losing anything by just, you know, you've got a team that will naturally move the ball, then you can do both, right? Then you can right. execute and you can play, which I think is, you know, I think those two things, I think both great teams do both those things. They can execute right. and they can just play. Right, right. See, and, and, and you, you just kind of mentioned something that is really key because there's that, um, there's kind of two sides to the coin because I've kind of spoken with coaches you know um, over here in London and there's some who are kind of uh, complaining that you know a lot of these guys are great in the layup lines or they can do the two against zero five against zero they can do all these athletic finishes euro step their finish but when you put them in a five on five setting where they have to play with other players they have to now work on timing spacing when to make a backdoor cut how to read this coverage there now in the zone so how can we sweep the ball to the weak side attacking the gaps they kind of free so for you as a coach especially at the college level how do you implement um certain concepts but kind of how to play the game from the shoulders up kind of developing that basketball iq yeah, I understand their. I understand the coach's frustration in the UK. That's a. I think that's a coach's frustration everywhere, uh, in terms of, you know, guys maybe looking the part and then and not maybe being able to do everything that, that you need them to do. But I think here at Howard, what we've done, and, and this is you know credit to Coach Blakeney, uh, our head coach, we play a lot in practice. There we go. We play that's a ton. Key. That's the key. And, yes, sir. You know, whether it's in a four minute segment here and a you know four minute segment there or you're changing the score, you're changing the rules in terms of, you know, no dribbles or five passes or whatever. I think a lot of people used to think, well, that's, you know, that's for bitty basketball, right? That's for and it's like, no, that's what good basketball is. Mm -hmm. Good basketball is, you know, reading the room and understanding what what you're trying to do and right. how to move the ball, you know, under restrictions or because, again, you could drop the greatest play in the world and if your players can't understand it or don't understand concepts it's not going to matter right um so right. we we are high on concepts and probably less on plays here and i, I like that uh, that's the basketball i love personally um and i think the best way to do it is to get them to play and then again you back it up with film you know maybe it's three on three small sided breakdowns you know just playing on one side of the floor and understanding how you know a strong side plays together uh, you know, and then maybe it's playing two on two on the other side, understanding how a weak side moves together. And also, I think the other big two is talking about players openly about what their strengths are mm -hmm. 
and recognizing that in each other, right? Yeah. Like, hey, you know, Demetrius, you're an excellent cutter. So you should be looking to cut more, but that doesn't mean cut all the time blindly without understanding what's going on. It just means like, hey, if you see the, the you know, the, the back of, of the man's guarding used jersey, you should go. Right. You know, right. that's your that's your key. That's your sign to, mm-hmm. to you know, have an impact. Right. And maybe you won't get the ball, but you're going to help our team. Um, and I think that's that's where you kind of give them just little cheats about the concepts. Like this is what you're looking for, and if this happens, do this. Right. And it doesn't mean you're going to score, but it just means good things are going to happen for us. You see, so just to ask a bit of a nerdy question here, but um, just in in terms of again and kind of you know asking your coaching philosophy as it continues to develop as more experience is gained. For for example. Do you have a set um, defensive scheme, for example, on a pick and roll, like whether you ice, switch, hedge, trap, double team, or is yours a bit more kind of, it depends on our player personnel, but also what the opponent is doing as well? Depending on where I've been, that's changed as a college okay. coach. You know, other, the head coaches have all had different philosophies. What I love about Howard right now and, and what we're doing is we're switching pretty much everything which okay. makes it uh, you know that makes the world a lot easier right, um, right. At, at, from a defensive standpoint and yeah sometimes that means our point guards hung up on a guy who's bigger than them but I don't know how often teams work on attacking mismatches in the post like That's how true. many practices do you, how much time in each practice do you do you do that right um and so maybe that means we have to help in a little bit more on the weak side, but guess what? We want to help in on the weak side anyway, because right. we don't want to, you know, leave the paint wide open. So, uh, you know, that's been easier for us. You know, when I was a high school coach, I always wanted to guard it with two. I didn't want to bring a third guy into the ball screen. I hated tagging. I always felt like teams could pick you apart. Um, so I was, I either wanted to switch or I was really, I was really kind of a jerk about learning how to, you know, defeat the ball screen with two guys, whether you're hedging and getting back or, uh, you know, going under or whatever, whatever I thought, you know, the, they, they could execute. And to me personally, it's always been about what your forwards are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. There we go. If they're slow footed, you probably don't want to put them out on an Island right? <laughs> True. because then they got to get all the way back. Right. Uh, if they're yeah. quick and switchable and they can guard anybody, why wouldn't you, you know, why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so really to me, and maybe that's a bias because I've always worked with forwards. I feel like forwards always get blamed in pick and roll coverage and I try to try to give them a little break. Right. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, in that instance, I'm always looking like, what are we capable of as a team? Right. You know, what can we, what's our best coverage, regardless of what the other team is trying to do or how good their players may be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just in terms of what would you say just before we get into the third and fourth quarter our um just in terms of the top three qualities of a leader you know slash teammate what would those top three qualities be for you coach that's a phenomenal question one i, I probably have, have to think about heartedly to, to get to a, a good answer, but uh, I will give you what comes to my head uh, right away. I think one is, is being a great listener. Mm, uh, I like that. You know, leaders, I think the old version of a leader is the person who's telling everyone what to do. Right. 
Right. And that that to me seems like a boss, yeah, right? I think the when you're a kid, the bossy kids are always telling everyone what to do, but they're not always the leaders in the room. Um, so I think of of good leaders as great listeners. Um, I think they are humble, and uh, in, in the sense that they know they don't have all the answers, but they they solicit information to help get to the best outcome. Right. Um, because sometimes it's easy to be selfish and say like, this is what I want. So this is what we're doing. True. Um, but is that really what's best? You know, I think you have to be willing to listen to your staff or players or spouse or, you know, whatever, if it's your personal life or your professional life. Right. Um, and then third, I think flexible and not in the sense that you're changing all the time, but just that you're willing to adapt. Mm when the time comes uh, you you can be stuck I think being stuck in your ways is you know is becoming a really negative part of of potentially coaching and as you see a change here like people are always willing to point out that kids are different right. well of course kids are different <laughs> the world right. is different right Very you're true. growing up in a different world than you and I did right sure um, so they should be different right so why shouldn't we be different in what we're doing than what our predecessors were right. Um, right and i think that's something that that we lose focus on sometimes see so just on that note how has your coaching philosophy changed in in terms of was there like a um a old concept that you used to believe in and then and now that you're kind of you know at you know coaching at the high level and you're being exposed to different schemes and different concepts you've kind of learned a new concept that's much more efficient so has 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 your philosophy changed in any certain ways a little bit i used to be a zone hater i hated okay. zone <laughs> i hated it Interesting. Um, and i i learned you know actually as an AAU coach, because we beat a team that was considerably more talented than us playing zone uh, and alternating between multiple zones that we hadn't really practiced, but just our guys did a phenomenal job. And that started to chip away at that. And then we played, uh, at my first year at Dartmouth, we played Merrimack College. And shout out to Joe Gallo, who's the head coach there. He does a phenomenal job. Nice. Um, and they play a zone that just is, wreaks havoc. I think I always used to think of zone as Syracuse, you know, big, long yep. players. and. Yep. Sitting back and letting people hoist yeah. threes and just <laughs> going and rebounding the ball. It always felt very lazy. Right. Um, but if you watch a 10 minutes of a Merrimack basketball game, that is the opposite of what their zone is. It's active and annoying and incredible. And, and it was really hard to solve and beat. They really mucked the game up in a great way. Um, and so I, I've kind of rethought my stance on secondary defenses and the importance of that. Mm -hmm. and the importance of that, excuse me. So I think that's probably the biggest, the biggest leap I've made as a, as a coach. Nice, nice. So the next one I've got for you, coach, is the top three things that every basketball player should have. Top three things every basketball player should have. Um, and I, I'm assuming this is like personality traits or. or... Ooh, you know, because be... I could tell you they should all be six eight with a seven foot wingspan <laughs> and uh, you know great leaping ability or the ability to shoot the ball all over the right. place. And those would be my first three answers if I could design a basketball player. Um, oh man, I think just in, in but, terms of um, 
skill set, I would say. Sure. I, I think I think in terms of skill set, uh, the ability to guard multiple positions is an incredible, That's incredible huge. advantage. That's huge. Right. Uh, and I think it's only becoming more coveted because of how great offensive players are getting. Right. So I would, I would put that up there uh, as probably number one. I think two is IQ and by IQ, I think it's just your ability to make decisions. And it's not even about making the perfect one every time. It's just about making good ones consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best teams have, you know, a, a really good handful of, of decision makers. Um, for that third one, from a skill perspective, I'll say shooting because I like watching the ball go in. So let's, you know, let's, <laughs> nice. let me get let me get one in there. You know, if I have a versatile, <laughs> high IQ shooter that can defend multiple positions, I'll be happy if I have five of those on the floor at a time. So nice. let's let's go with those three. Nice, understood. And the next one is what would you say, Coach, is your top three plays that you love to run? Because the reason why I ask this is because one, I mean. There was one, well, there's these two teams. One team, San Antonio Spurs, just seeing them play is just poetry in motion. And two, there was a play coach that I saw Golden State run and I saw it for the first time. Shout, shout out to my mentor, Coach Hugh Wilkinson. He showed me a play called the Elevator Door. And coach, when I tell you, when I saw that play for the first time, to me, that changed the game. I mean, I was running that, that was play. It? I was running that play on teams I had no business running that on because we had no shooters. But to me, it just looked so nice. Just just seeing that door open and close where the defense could just, they couldn't do anything. The shooter had all the time in the world to go and shoot the three. That play right there was just absolutely beautiful. So for yourself, coach, has there been any plays, you know, that's really caught your eye or that you've been able to run that just, you know, not only looks good but it gets the rotations and it gets you a good look as well yeah you know as a again as a high school coach i didn't run a lot of plays so i can't say i was a wizard on the whiteboard by any stretch of the imagination um in college two of the actually three of the five programs i've worked for as a college coach all ran a similar offensive style. So the Princeton nice. style with the big catching at the elbow. Yep. So that, you know, that ends up being a little more continuity when you run it well, right? And right. it's read and react. And so I, I love that because it, I think it spaces the floor naturally really well. I personally have always loved pistol action. Nice. Um, nice. I think it gets the ball downhill early and anything that does now, I think is, is great action to me. So. If it's you know drags, double drags, and transition, which we do here at Howard, I think anything getting you know getting people towards the rim early in the shot clock is great. But the thing I think from a conceptual standpoint, what I also like too are inverted ball screens, like getting screening action towards the baseline. So that's what pistol does, right? That's what you know if you enter it in the post, they call it a grenade action. I think the first time I saw it might have been also in the NBA, but then I saw some college teams do it where they feed the post. Mm-hmm. And then they go into a split action, but then the post dribbles at the guy who's who's coming off the split action, and right. he just got a head of steam downhill. I, I just love stuff that allows that probably has movement within it. Right. You know, isn't just standing still A to B, B to C, but you know gives people some freedom of movement within the play. So I don't know if I have three specific sets that I could give you, but I, I think out of concepts, those are probably uh, 
the things I like the most. And again, I'm selfish because I was a forward, so I like players forwards. <laughs> forwards involved touching the ball a little bit, you know. Understood. So. Understood. Oh man, and I think just the final two questions before we get into the um, third quarter, which I like to call the quick hitter segment, is you know, in terms of you know, competitive edge you know some people say you can be born with it some people say you know it's something that you can learn and it's a skill some people say it's a bit of both for yourself coach you know with the level that you're coaching at when it comes down to the competitive edge for yourself do you reckon it's something that you're born with or a skill that can be acquired I think the guy, I think the folks who are born with it have a little bit of an advantage. I'll, I'll be honest. Mm. I, I think unfortunately the answer is both in a right. good way. Right. Um, I think there are those who are born competitors. Uh, I was not born a competitor. In fact, when I played, I usually had to be smiling and laughing to, to be at my best. <laughs> I don't know why that is. I think that's, you know, but that didn't mean I didn't want to win the game either. I think that's right. also a, a misconception that, True. you know, you True. can be, you can have that kind of, I guess I would say jovial attitude that I had and I still wanted to win every game. I, I wasn't going out there just to screw around and have right. fun because right. um, winning is fun. And then I think actually as a coach, I've developed the ability to to be super competitive, which I wasn't as a, I don't think I was seen as that as a player. So I, I do think it can be learned because I've learned it and it right. took a little bit of a change in perspective to get there. Um, and again, I think it's how you frame it to people. I, I think you encourage people to be who they are, but but understand how who they are can help or be channeled into being a competitive player. Right. Um, so I do think it's a little bit of both, but I, I would give the advantage to those who can who can do it naturally. Okay. And looking at your career now, coach, just in terms of you know all of the highs and all of the lows. What would you say, you know, are the highlights that stand out to you the most? But also, what were some of those lowlights that made you a better coach? Well, I think, first of all, Demetrius, excellent question because, you know, you're bringing up good and bad and the same thing, which I think is always good because very rarely is it all good and very rarely is it all bad. But, very true. Um, you know, I was not a great player. My high school teams were just okay. And I think I often think back to kind of what they were and how they were and think, you know, is that, was that correct? Should we have been, should I have worked a little bit harder? Should I, you know, I had right. some regrets, like right. in terms of, did we do things the right way? And I think that allowed me to, kind of inform my ability as a coach because I didn't want to lose heartbreaking games or be one game away from the playoffs or, and I knew what it, what we did to get to that point. So I knew we had to do more to be better than that. Right. Um, so I think that informed a lot of it. You know, I've had, I've been a part of some really, some really tough, you know, one possession games, you know, as a Columbia, we lost the three overtimes up at Harvard. And there were some incredible shots made to send game, to send the game into overtime, to Goodness send the game into double overtime. And so, you know, just again, the importance of every possession, you know, they yeah. all matter. So, so games like that, I'll, like, I can't watch that game still, <laughs> right? right. Um, but it informs how I think it, it absolutely does. 
So I, I think those are the two things, you know, my high school experience as a player has informed a lot of what I, how I think as a coach. Um, and then, you know, games that, that game, that, that year at Columbia, we lost a ton of tight ones. We, we won one in Madison Square Garden too. I think that, that felt amazing, but, um, you know, that year we, we lost a triple overtime game. We lost at Rutgers in a, in a really tight one that, you know, we had them on the ropes. And I think those all informed, you know, again, how important every single possession to me. We lost a heartbreaker to Fordham that year. Now we're going through that whole year. It's just, um, you're opening up some old games. <laughs> it's my first college scout. We're playing oh, Fordham man. at Fordham. Third day of an MTE and we lose on a heartbreaker at the buzzer. It was just like, those inform you so much more, at least inform me. I shouldn't say you, I won't speak for everybody. They inform me so much more because you just think like, yeah. And you know, that stinks, but we let it get to that point. So what right. can we do in the future to avoid getting there? There we go. There we go. I mean, coach, I mean, seriously, um, I just, um, this was a couple weeks ago, um, you know, coaching the university of the arts men's team. And we was leading the whole game coach and I called a timeout. This must've been just before halftime. And I was like, right, fellas, even though we are up, we need to stay switched on because what I don't want it to be is a game where we bail them out with silly fouls, they go to the free throw line and they capitalize from our mistakes. So we need to be switched on. Coach, what happens? We start making silly fouls and we lose the game by one. And when I tell you, Coach, yeah. all of us was going through it. And even for myself, Coach, I'm going to be transparent. I was absolutely livid at myself. And again, I was fortunate able to, you know, the next session again just preach from the start the importance of you know focusing on those small details focusing on what you can control and just reminding us of what is our culture what is our basketball culture what are the things that we stand by unfortunately it was a learning curve for them and we was able to move forward but going through that moment especially having said guys if we don't stay focused this is what could happen and if that it actually did happen oh man nobody could talk to me that evening coach you don't love being right <laughs> oh, sometimes man. you know you don't, yeah. you don't love being right well said there we go <laughs> there we go you know? oh my goodness now making a transition into the third quarter which is the quick hitter segment i'm just going to ask you some rapid fire questions coach and see where you're at with them so the first one i've got for you coach is what would you say is a skill that is taught by many but only mastered by a few a skill that is taught by many but only mastered by a few in basketball i would just say self aware i would say self-awareness <laughs> just mm. having that like i, I think as a I think a lot of people think they have it and then they get to a point where they it just it's gone so I know it's not a skill right. but I think it is a skill like in terms of how it translates into your I know it's not teachable on the basketball court from like hey you know do a bunch of self-awareness drills but right. I just I think it's so valuable so I think from a mental standpoint but then from maybe a physical skill perspective I think a lot of people think they're they're good ball handlers because they I see a lot of players willing to to pound the air out of the ball, but I don't think, I think it's really hard to be a really elite ball handler. Right. Understood. I like that. Uh, I, I like the self-awareness one as well, because I'm super curious now, why do you mean that? 
again, I, I think it's just a, about an it's a it's an understanding of maybe the self awareness allows for an understanding of like the greater good sometimes. And okay. It, it, you know, kind of like you're not focused on the the immediate. Hey, I want this one thing right now, or I got the ball. I better do something with it. Like maybe the best thing you can do is get rid of it. Right. Um, right. And that sometimes feels like, hey, I'm, I'm being told not to do something. Well, no, you're being encouraged to do something else. There we go. And that's, I think that takes self-awareness to not, to not be offended by that. Understood. Understood. Next one, best piece of advice you ever received. Best piece of advice I've ever received. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> sound like coach got a few <laughs> yeah well and I, I don't know I, I always have a jokey answer for this but I, I won't give it um, I think the, the best piece of advice I've ever rec- received has, has been you know always be willing to listen like you don't know who is going to give you your next great idea or your next piece of perspective or you know if you're shutting people out or not allowing them to to share with you i think you're you know you're not allowing yourself to grow either so right just always being willing to to listen to the the perspective of the next person even if you wholeheartedly disagree mm-hmm. i don't i don't mm-hmm. think you should you should turn things off uh, nice. particularly in, in a thing that evolves like basketball right okay uh, we've got the last two before we get to the fourth quarter is if it wasn't for basketball I wouldn't have learned filling the blank about myself you know I don't think I would have learned you know about maybe the resilience that I'm capable of personally you know nice. being a high school coach and you know coaching a bunch of teams for for very little compensation and doing the same thing as a division three assistant and you know going to again you read the bio early it didn't add you know laundry room attendant and a bus driver and all the other things <laughs> that you end up having to do and hats right. that you have to wear right uh i think you realize yeah i'll do a lot to to allow myself to do this and again i've been lucky because i've had a lot of people in my corner Uh, to help me along the way but yeah resiliency Uh, and i think i didn't think of myself as a resilient person prior to to becoming a coach there we go there we go and the final one coach is what would the title of your autobiography be well i'm a child of divorce so it would be twice the presence because i had to go to (laughs) you know i used to get multiple holidays so now that we're in the holiday season i think i'd stick with twice the presence twice the presence i like that (laughs) i like that and the fourth quarter now coaches what i do come towards the end of the show is we have a little bit of fun with our guests uh i will give you 10 seconds coach and you need to name five things so for example i might say coach i'm gonna give you 10 seconds to name five nba teams and when you hear the countdown ten nine that's when you can just eight, start listing them off six okay perfect see i see i was just sure if, if if that was a confident okay or a let's do this okay but we'll see we're gonna yeah, find we'll out. see I, i'm gonna try <laughs> we're gonna I'm, find I'll, out. I'll try not to get flustered i'll try not to get flustered <laughs> oh cool right let's let's i'll start this one off nice and easy so coach You've got 10 seconds to name five NBA players. 
Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Hakeem Olajuwon, Tim Duncan, Vince Carter. Easy buddy, five seconds left. Okay, okay. Second one, 10 seconds to name five NBA teams. 10, 9, Celtics, Knicks, 7, your Bulls, 5, the Suns, 4, Three, the Trailblazers. Two, there we go. Hey, you know what, listeners? I think I might give him a bonus two points because he mentioned my balls in there. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, got a little callback. Yeah, <laughs> okay, now these next two coach in the past, um, some guests have kind of struggled a little bit, but seeing that you're a coach, hopefully you'll be able to get this one because even though these names aren't mentioned that much unless they reach a certain point in the season or if they're in some hot water so let's see how you handle this one so 10 seconds coach to name five nba coaches 10 9 steve kerr eric spolstra six chauncey billups four three phil jackson yep dwayne dwayne casey nice that was clutch yes sir yes sir okay Okay. next one 10 seconds to name five international players in the nba 10 9 manu ginobili seven rudy gobert five luca Giannis. two one Peja. Oh, I love it. That was I from the crates. It. That was from the crates. There. Did I get that one in? I, I know did. he's not a current player, but. I would take it. Okay. Final three. Ten seconds, coach, to name five basketball movies. Oh, my goodness. Ten. Nine. Air up eight, there. Seven. Nice. Air Bud. Six. Yep. Five. Um, four. Hoop Dreams. Three, here we go. Two, Love and Basketball. One. Yes, sir. Oh. <laughs> Finding Forrester. I'm late, but Finding Forrester might count as a basketball. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll right. take it. Fair. Okay. Fair and the last two. See, now these last two really come down to personal preference. So I'm super curious to see your answers for these last two. So, 10 seconds, coach, to give me your top five players of all time. Like my favorite or just best players? It's going to be your personal favorite. Okay, my favorite five. Okay. 10, 9, LeBron, 7, Kevin Garnett, 6, 5, AI, 4, 3, Vince Carter, and Sean Kemp. Ooh, wait, okay, wait, okay. Time out. We need to talk about this. I like this. So you, you've kind of gone sure. through a couple of different areas. Just kind of just go through one by one um, why they're there and and just some of the things that they did that's you know allowed you to put them in such high regard. Well, LeBron, I'll start with LeBron. I don't understand why everyone dislikes him. I mean, he's so he's 6'8 as a point guard and he's incredible. Um, nice. I've gotten to see him play live, you know, when nice. he was with the Cavs as a younger player. And, and uh, I got to see them play against the Warriors in the NBA Finals. I've been very lucky to see him no play a few way. times. Oh, yeah, every like time. It, oh, it was incredible. Those runs against the Celtics, when the Celtics were really good, I got to go to some of those games. So I've seen him 
at multiple stages in his career. And I just, I've never seen anyone better live. You know, it's just, I have to admit it. Um, Kevin Garnett had just a spirit and fire about him. That was so, I would just have loved to play with him. Um, I think Allen Iverson kind of defined the NBA generation when I was a kid and growing, I shouldn't say kid growing up because I was in high school and stuff, but the, from the jerseys to just his persona and the tattoos. And I remember that young, that young AI shook Michael Jordan and older Jordan on the bulls, right? Yes, sir. (laughs) I had that Sixers jersey, the red Sixers jersey with the blue writing and the AI. Like I was all, I was all in on AI. Um, Sean Kemp probably has one of the better NBA highlight reels. You know, he's talked about highlights earlier. I loved watching him just thunder dunk on anyone and everyone that was in his way. Um, And Vince Carter, I I love because uh, growing up, I watched a lot of North Carolina basketball and um, I love that he evolved. He came in the league as a high flying dunker, but he played what, 15 plus years and could shoot threes and guarded fives. And, you know, he just did everything, I think. I think he deserves a lot more credit. I think he was an incredible, incredible pro uh, nice. and really evolved as a player, which I think everyone should strive to do. So nice. that's my that's my personal five for Understood. now. Understood. Yeah. And the final one, Coach, is you've got 10 seconds to name five artists that either get you hyped or focused before a game. Oh, my goodness. Ten, nine. All right, Biggie. Okay. Seven, MOP. Six, oh my gosh. Five, four, Joey Badass. Three, yes, sir. Two, uh, one. God, who else? Hey, forget uh, the time, but coach, keep it going. You had me at MOP. Keep it going, <laughs> coach. Keep it going. Uh, yes, sir. I used to listen to a lot of Wu Tang before. I'm trying to think about what I used to listen to before I was in games in high school. I used to listen to a lot of Wu Tang. Okay. Um, who else? I need a fifth for you, don't I? Uh, who else? I used to I used to love listening to Outkast too. Okay, I always liked Outkast, yes, and sir. I would say more modern, more modern. I was a big Kanye guy early too. I yes. loved early Kanye, so maybe that's six. But that was that was my pregame music. I, I'm eclectic, but pregame it was mostly hip hop. So. Nice. Nice, uh, I love it. But yeah, MOP for sure. I mean, oh, that, they were cool, warriors. Man. That's one Facts. of the greatest albums of all time. Facts. No one can tell me otherwise. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness, listeners, this was a absolute treat for me. Um, I'm sure it was a treat for you guys and listeners. Do not worry. The information will be in the description on where you can find Coach Steven. But Coach, talk to me in terms of you know for coaches players who just want to you know learn more about the sport how to coach the game effectively or you know where they can see you guys play um where can they find you i'm i'm very i have a very small social media footprint but i do have a twitter account Uh, i think it's coach s ongly at coach s ongly so you know anyone can dm me on twitter or or you can find me on the Howard website. My email is up there. My name, stephen.ongly at howard.edu. And my advice is, you know, be a sponge. You know, try to get to as many practices as you can get. Watch as many games as you can watch. If you, you know, if you really love it, it's not a chore. So, you know, and I think a lot more coaches are more uh, willing to, to let p- people watch their practices than people would think. Right. You know, you just have to kind of go, th- I, you'd be surprised, like, when I used to travel as a D3 coach, I would email all the Division One coaches I was 
in the area and a lot of them would hit me back yeah can you come right now like we're practicing in 20 minutes you know they just nice. there was no kind of so i think you know coaches love i think a lot of coaches love helping coaches they don't always maybe go out of their way to do it but if you go out of your way to solicit them i, th I think you'll find a, a more will respond than than often than not and I, and I certainly try to because so many did for me so personally i i will do my best to to get in, to answer every question or or have someone come through and and watch us awesome awesome listeners this is myself the very humble but extremely high iq and continuing to wish him much success for him and at the howard university coach stephen ongley signing out